I know what I want to want to achieve and I just follow my own goal setting framework which is like big goal make it smart work backwards <laughs> and that's it and I have action things what are the obstacles that I'm going to come up against in this okay well someone might tell me no someone might say that's not going to work how do we work around it? What's the solution? Because if someone says no to me, if I don't have like a contingency plan, I'll like go into a hole for a few days. I'm like, I don't know what to do anymore, blah, blah, blah. So I know that that happens. I put contingency plans in place. Hello and welcome to Polyweb. I'm your host, Sara Landi Tortoli, and my guest today is Emily Rose Dallara. Emily is the host of the Web3 and Thrive podcast. She's a business coach and the founder of Payant, a crypto payment solution that helps freelancers and contractors to get paid on time. With Emily, we talk about how to build a startup in Web3 and how to manage multiple projects without getting a burnout. So please enjoy this conversation with Emily Rose Dallara. Emily, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. How are you uh, doing? I'm very well. <laughs> and I'm very Good. happy to have you here and to have like a relaxed uh, chit chat together. Uh, so nice. Yeah. And we we actually have a lot of ground to cover. Um, but maybe a good place to start for, for the audience is... Uh, I simply make a quick introduction and uh, tell the audience about you. Yeah, so actually today I'm in my new recording booth that we've built. It's DIY. Um, it's not finished yet, so it just looks a bit plain and boring, but we're getting new walls put in. So um, I'm Emily Rose Delara, and I have been in the Web3 space for the last seven years as a marketing director. And I left the I left the corporate side of Web3 and like working with companies when I realized it was no longer serving me anymore. I felt like I was burnt out. I was stuck. I felt like I had no idea what I was meant to be doing anymore. And so I um, took a break, took time out, and I started a podcast myself called Web3 and Thrive. And the purpose of this podcast was really to help other people thrive in Web3. And kind of helped me tell the story of how I got into the space, how other people could benefit from being here and, and really acknowledging how hard it is. And so I provide all the strategies and tips and tools that they can use to thrive in Web3. And as part of that journey, I requalified as a coach. And now I coach um, primarily women, but also men in Web3 and tech through overwhelm, through imposter syndrome, and really help them to get a balance in their life that feels right for them. Of course, balance isn't a, a thing for everybody. Like you can't always have a 50-50, but we find something that works for them and um, really prevent them from going into a burnout because a lot, a lot of the people who come to me are really like completely stuck. They don't know what to do next. They don't even know if they want to stay in Web3 anymore. They don't know if they want to do this big job anymore. And we kind of work through it all and, and help them find solutions. That, that's interesting. Um, what are the main uh, the main problems that the people that you coach uh, have? And is there something that it's particular to Web3 that require a diverse type of coaching? So another type of coaching compared to a normal business coach? Yes. So as you know, Web3 is a beast and working in this space is quite difficult. 
I mean, it's similar to the tech industry, but people come to me with complete overwhelm. They don't know where to start with their work. They don't know where to, they don't know how to set boundaries. They don't know how to say no to people. They are so, they feel so lacking when it comes to skill set, even though they've got maybe like 10 years of experience, that they go and do course after course after course, hoping that they'll feel good enough. But of course, they never do because feeling good enough is really self-work versus external work. And so they come to me totally burnt out or they come to me with like this feeling of what what am I doing with my life? Like, why am I even doing this? I've lost all interest in my job. I'm checking my texts at night. I'm checking my texts first thing in the morning. I can't turn off my notifications. Like all these things that happen when you're working nonstop in Web3. And it is similar to the tech industry, but what my clients say to me actually is, I'm really glad you're specific to Web3 because you understand exactly the things I'm going through. Like, for example, one of my clients came to me the other day and said, oh, I'm talking to this layer one and um, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, are you sure you want to work for a layer one? Like marketing to developers? Like, so I think other coaches might not understand what it means to be a woman or a leader in Web3. Yeah, absolutely. It's a pretty complex environment that requires a lot of education to be in. And uh, what's your your typical process when someone uh, reach out to you and have this kind of issues? So what I usually do is we work through a bit of a process first because we want to make sure that I'm right for them and they're right for me. And so we jump on a call and we go through what their challenges are. We understand what life looks like now what they want to do in the future and then we figure out are you prepared to do the work to get to the future you so we have a bit of a call that goes through all this it helps them to really actually a lot of the calls I do are I have people having like mini breakthroughs and realizing things that maybe they didn't realize so we have a bit of a coaching session actually and then I work through what it might look like to work with me and then they come on board and we jump into sessions and we do every two weeks we do courses, courses. Every two weeks we do sessions together. We have WhatsApp chats. We have tons of templates and tools that I provide for them. So it's really like a intense relationship. <laughs> but I'm like their biggest cheerleader and their biggest devil's advocate, basically. Yeah. And uh, it must be also quite intensive uh, for you, especially because one one thing that we have not touched upon yet, and uh, we will delve into uh, into now that the conversation moves along, is that you're also building a startup. So mm-hmm. <laughs> you have a <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. So you have a podcast. By the way, we will leave uh, all the links mm-hmm. in the description and in the show notes for for listeners uh, if they want to follow up with you and listen to your podcast, which I highly recommend. I love it. Thank you. But as I was saying, you you have a podcast uh, and uh, uh, you have a coaching business uh, and follow up uh, very intensively and closely with your clients. Uh, and then you're also launching uh, your own startup. Uh, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken, you are in beta right now. Yes. Yeah, so we're actually... We're building the wait list. So I wanted to just, I kept talking about, it's called Payont, by the way. So the basic and the basic foundations of Payont is that contractors will finally get paid on time. And in Web3, we have an issue with having to chase invoices constantly, especially if you're like um, 
especially if you're project-based. So if you're used to using Fiverr, you're used to doing task-based work and you're kind of employing freelancers to do like one thing. So Payon actually works with contractors who are doing longer contracts primarily to start with and you're paying them in crypto. And so as a client, you struggle to find freelancers or contractors that you trust, right? If you if you haven't got a referral, you want to be able to pay for something and accept that you'll get what you paid for, right? And then on the opposite side, you've got the, the contractors who want to do work and get paid for it and know that they're going to get paid for it. And at the moment, that gap is, is still open. Like nobody's closed that gap. No one's thought, how can we guarantee payment in crypto? There's many different escrow solutions in Web2. There's many different like fiat focused, fiat, how would you call it? Many fiat escrows that you could use, but none that incorporate crypto and none that are easy to use. So we built a solution instead. And that's because I've always struggled to get paid. I was tired, like literally, I was having to ask for upfront payment quite often. And it was, and I was scared to ask for that upfront payment in case I didn't get the contract when I was a bit younger. And then even working with the big exchanges, I didn't get paid on time. So this is something that I would have really liked back then. And I've had people since I've started talking about Payont coming to me saying, oh my God, I'm literally going through this right now. And when is it released? And I'm like, okay, I'm going to release a wait list so you guys know when it's released. Okay, we're, we're ongoing. We covered the, the problem that, that you're trying to solve. Um, and like my biggest curiosity, whenever I talk uh, with uh, someone who's launching a startup or who has launched a startup, is uh, always this, it's what, how did you go from idea so from, you know, oh, I have this problem, I need to solve this, to actually mm-hmm. build a solution. And more specifically, for people who are interested in kind of following the, the same path, what were the f- very first steps uh, that, that you took? Mm-hmm. Okay, let me have a think back. So I had this idea probably in September, um, which was... If you're listening to this now, it's February. So how many months is yeah, that? Yeah, it's like six months. Six months? Yeah. So I had the idea and I was like, I haven't been, it, it was because I hadn't been paid for something, right? And I was like, God's sake, like, I wish that there was a solution for this. I looked everywhere for a solution. I looked at escrow.com. Um, I looked at smart links. I looked at, um, to be honest, there's not that many options, by the way. Um, I looked at Kleros and I was like, none of these suit what I need. Like, it's not easy to use. And I'm obsessed and like, I'm a product marketer at heart. Like, you'll resonate with this. UX is everything. And so I need to understand how to get from A to B in like 10 seconds. I don't want to have to go and search for the answer. So I was talking to a few people about this and I was back and forth. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to sit down and write down, the, write down the idea. How does this look? Like, how would it be paid? And there was many dog walks that I was on with Antoine, my fiance, and we were like, how could this work? Like, he's he's in crypto. He understands how everything works. He's very technical. And he was like, well, you'd need to do, um, like, the first thing we needed to understand was, do I need a Solidity developer and what should I build on? So I talked to loads of people and everyone said, yeah, maybe you should consider Polygon. Maybe you should consider different chains. I was like, uh, you know, there must be a better solution than this, right? I don't want to have to just build, like, I want to be chain agnostic. I want to be able to make this very simple. And also, I have no funds to hire a Solidity developer who's like 150K a year. Not right now. So 
I spoke to a guy that I know called David Atkinson. He's built Holochain. I don't know if you guys are familiar with him. And he's built many other different platforms. And he has something called Rain. He's renamed it now. It's called Rain Rangency. So like Rain Agency. They're a protocol. They've written their own language. And they create basically not necessarily plug and play smart contracts, but smart contracts that are like easy to maneuver. So they built an escrow smart contract already. That was just, if you imagine it like, here's the code. Now you can add on as much stuff as you want or as little stuff as you want. You can put it on each, like you could use it for vesting, for example. So, you know, if you've got token equity you and you need to pay investors, you could use that contract for that. So it's like very easy to manipulate. And so I said, I've got this idea. Do you think I could use this contract or this code for it? And they said, yeah, no, no worries. Like you can condition it however you want. So I basically made like a custom smart contract with them. And um, I hired a backend developer who understood the language and could write Rain. Um, And then I hired a front end developer. And I was like, oh, it's like, like, and I got them to like explain everything to me because I didn't understand anything. Like I said, what do you mean conditional? Like, how does this work? Like, draw me a diagram. I have no fucking idea what you're talking about. Um, So everyone was sending me diagrams. I was like, I don't understand any of this terminology, but how does somebody get their USDC into this? So they had to talk me through everything. And then I said, you know what? I need help with this. I can't manage this and my coaching and the podcast. I like, like as much as it was still in idea stage and it was kind of being, the contracts were being built. I, I just couldn't manage the developers like myself. So I said to my fiance, do you want to co-found this? Like, do you want to be part of this as well? Because I know you love managing developers. <laughs> That's his thing. Um, and he said, yeah, I'd love to. So I brought him on board. So I didn't do it on my own. Um, and then he was like, you need to get these developers you need to get on top of them right now because this is so messy. I was like, okay, come and help me, please. So he sat down, he got them all into shape. He had weekly meetings. He had roadmaps. He has Asana. Like everything is going very well. (laughs) So he got the development moving forward. So then I could think, okay, how does this look, right? How do I want this design? So I did the, uh, well, I did the branding myself, AI, obviously. And then I'm going to go and rebrand at some point. So I did that. And then I was like, okay, now I need to like validate this idea and start talking to people because I was scared to talk to people in case they thought I was like mental. And they're like, no, no one's going to buy your idea. So I'd already validated pretty much. Like I knew that this would work. And actually it was very low risk. Like it's not hugely expensive. I had money that I would either invest in my investment portfolio or I could put it into a business and see if it worked or not. It's the same risk. So I thought, fuck it, I'll go this direction and I'll go and put it into development and see if it works or not. Right. So for me, it's a very low risk. I'm not, if it fails, I'll be upset, obviously, like you always are if something fails, but is a great learning curve and it hasn't I haven't sunk a ton of capital into it. Do you mind give us a ballpark, uh, more or less, uh, if they want to build something with a yeah. software backend engineer, a front-end engineer and uh, like another co-founder, how much do they need to invest? Yeah. Um, so I was lucky because Antoine is also able to design all the wireframes and the basic UI. So I didn't have to pay for a developer which is usually a cost that you would accrue accrue that you would what's the word that you would usually have and <laughs> English went out of my brain yeah um and so it's been around five thousand euros at least to start with I think 
yeah, around 5,000 at the at this moment in time, which is, for me, very doable. And so it all depends on how you invest in yourself. Like I'm very big on investing in myself and in the business. So for me, it was like an easy decision to make. So you invest uh, in development uh, and, uh, and then uh, you decide to put this deck, you know, to create this deck. Yes. So I was like, okay, I need to get, I've already kind of written the plan. I've written down the revenue models. I understand how we're going to make money. Um, now I need to get it into a deck and like start sending it to people who are actually, who've actually raised money, right? And who've actually built businesses because my biggest, like I surround myself by success with successful people. I don't, I'm, I don't ever want to be in a situation where I'm not growing. So I want to be challenged all the time. And so I have a great network of these people. So I sent them my deck and said, here's the idea. What do you think? Like, do you think I could raise money for this idea? And they're like, oh my God, you need to do this. I was like, okay, cool. And actually I spoke to the guy who let me build using his smart contract. And the fact that he said yes is a big, like a big thing because he's, I give him loads of ideas all the time. And he's like, okay, yeah, cool, Emily, nice one. This one, he was like, you should definitely build this. So I got a lot of validation and then I started talking to freelancers and contractors um, in my network. And they were like, this would have been brilliant. We've actually, like, I think three or four of them had recently had this current issue. For, for listeners, um, how did you conduct this validation? Like, was it a user interviews? Or like, give us a bit more of details on uh, how can uh, also someone that is interested in building uh, it, his or her own startup, right, mm-hmm. go about this validation phase? Yes. What, what do they need to do? So I actually didn't run validation the way I usually do it, but the way to do it is and this is how for coach for the coaching business okay I do it properly <laughs> for the pay on I didn't do it I just went full in um but what I usually do is set up um market research calls with people and I'll run them through the idea um especially people who I know may or may not usually they're more likely to have gone through this problem already and I walk them through it and it gives me the opportunity to understand the questions that they might ask and so I did have a few of these calls at the start and it helped me understand that I'll need dispute resolution. I hadn't thought of that to start with. They're like, well, what if people don't upload the deliverables and then that money's locked there? What happens? I was like, yes, this is a great point. Okay, I need to make sure that's covered. And then other people have asked me like, well, what about the cost of the smart contracts and the gas fees? Okay, yeah, I need to think about that. So we're thinking of, we're not going to be an Ethereum, but we want to make sure people can make the decision if they want to use uh, USDC ETH. So we're going to give them multiple stablecoin options. Um, so all this would not have been possible if I hadn't talked to people first in, in my circle and, tr- and like had them ask me the questions that I hadn't thought of. So that's an advice for everyone, please, before you start uh, run uh, mm-hmm. a modicum of user research and user interviews. But mm-hmm. uh, Let's go to the then to the coaching calls. Like, which type of question, as yes. a founder uh, in need of validating an idea, you should ask? So, the number one question I ask is, "What's your current challenge in regards to and whatever your product is?" So, for example, for Payon, I would say, "What's your current struggle when it comes to being a contractor?" What are you currently dealing with right now? What's the hard part of being a contractor? And usually they'll say stuff like, 
well, getting paid on time, not knowing when the next paycheck is and having to go and get clients, right? That's the top three problems. And so you're like, okay, so tell me a bit more about that. And you go through, like, go into coaching mode, you go through the problem and you're like, okay, so what does a world look like without that problem? Okay. What is, what do you do? What does life look like? Well, I'm getting paid on time. I don't have to worry about um, the next paycheck. I'm not having to move money around. Okay. So what, like off the top of your head, what, one of those things would you like to deal with? Right? What, what would be the biggest relief? And a lot of the time it's people saying getting paid on time because then I don't have to move money. Then I don't have to worry about getting paid. Okay, cool. So here's my idea. This is what I want to do to help solve that problem for you um, and help you feel less anxious about getting paid. And I go through it and I'm like, what do you think about it? And they say, sounds like a great idea or sounds like a shit idea. Like it depends what they think, right? Okay, so these are the features I'm going to include. Tell me, am I missing anything? Is there anything that you think should be on there that's not? And then I go through the features. Okay, cool. So these features, how do you think you benefit from them? So I go through it, like it takes time. Um, and then I say, okay, this is a pricing structure that I think I'm going to do. How does that resonate? Like, does that make sense? Um, this is how I've come to the the pricing, right? This is how I've, the research I've done. Does it make sense? And they're like, yes or no. How long does it take? Like one, one of these interviews? About 45 minutes, usually. 45 minutes to an hour maximum. Okay. And any particular tips for listeners on uh, how do you outreach those people and convince them to participate? Because that, that's often the case. Like, do you call the email? Were they in your network? Yeah, keep it in the network. So I start with people I already know. So I think, who do I know who works for themselves? Who's got their own business? Who's a contractor? Okay. I contact them. I give them a message. I'll drop them a DM, right? And then if I need more people, usually that's enough. Usually you do know more people than you realize. And then if that's not enough, I'll do a post like I did um, for my coaching. Many, I had a new coaching offer I wanted to validate. And so um, I put a post up there and I tagged a few people knowing that those few people might share it. Um, and so you can try all the soft tactics to start off with. And to be honest, you only need five to 10 people really to validate your idea. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Usually when I used to run uh, like user research and uh, user interviews, I usually took eight to 10 people. Yeah, and exactly. More than that, you, you will start seeing uh, like similarities and not get anything that was not already being said usually. Exactly. And, exactly. And it, like it's enough to see trends. Yeah. And that's what you need, you need to spot. And, um, yeah. and I also love the way you ask questions because contrary to what, what I see a lot of founders <laughs> or, or people that are not used to conduct user research do, you didn't ask yes or no type of questions, oh, but yeah. you asked like for them to really open up and tell you a story. So like yes. they were open-ended question. I think this is super important because you are not looking to, for them to, you know, just uh, validate your idea and your ego with it. Exactly. You're really asking them, uh, you're really interested in what they have to say. Let's put it like this. Yeah, exactly. And that's definitely like, I mean, I was a marketer for many years, so I'm used to do these kind of like, interviews but it's definitely the coach in me who's like I to be honest is I like to talk to people I like to understand them I like to help them through their challenges right so it's just I just use those skills and apply it to a product feedback 
call <laughs> or a product validation call. Yeah, I think this is super valuable and a great example to to follow for for people who are in a similar situation. And now, what happens after you run these discoveries? Like, how did you incorporate uh, the feedback that you got from from these user interviews uh, back into the product? So what I do is I take note of all the things that come up and I like circle through them. To be honest, I did I did around eight actually. Um, eight calls and multiple other conversations. And the thing that kept coming up was the dispute resolution was like, how do we mediate if something goes wrong? Um, and so that was my biggest problem to solve. And then the second biggest problem was how do we, how do we get our clients to pay us if they only pay in fiat? I was like, okay, now we need to bring the idea to the table. So to be honest, that was always what I wanted to do, but I hadn't hadn't clearly thought it through yet so the dispute resolution is number one and that's being worked on right now and I brought that to the table with Antoine first I said okay I've had these calls the takeaways is we need to figure this shit out right we need to understand how to do it because no one's doing it well and we can go down the very decentralized route or we can go down the AI tool with like internal mediation and then it can go to like a final sounding board um it's and and the way we implemented it was Actually, it's not implemented yet, but I wrote down in my asana, this is the goal. This is the steps I need to take to get there. So number one was talking to mediation services. So there's quite a few, but there's very few who understand Web3 and the users. So I found an amazing uh, team of people in Paris and they're French and they're part of the French Blockchain Foundation, I think it's called. And they're very interested in building us a pilot, like a custom thing that we can use just for payont and so i think we're going to go down that route yeah it would be fun um but that's not that's not come to fruition yet because we're like in the early stages and so we just go step by step and for me i'm used to having lots of stuff happening at once so i have to be very clear with the next steps of things so okay i've got an idea great how we're going to get there and i work backwards so it's it's how i apply my coaching foundation like the goal setting foundations you know that it ha- it has a name these ways of working like uh, tell me in uh, so in product management uh, we call this working backwards so basically okay. you start with the end in mind and mm-hmm. then and then you walk you literally walk your way back so that's why it's yep. working working backwards and it's and it's it was the only in- way yeah it was invented by amazon well invented <laughs> it comes from Amazon. Amazon. Amazon took a framework and made it their own framework. <laughs> exactly. And then everyone started to copy it, basically. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the basis of coaching. Like you learn how to set goals, like big goals and visions, and you understand then how to break it down so it's manageable. And then that helps you understand what habits you need to create or unlearn. It helps you understand how to set routines. So it's it you could apply it to everything, I think. How much is being a coach helping you in building a product? Um, so definitely the organizational and prioritization skills. So we have an Antoine's extremely very focused. So I don't have to do much with him. He's fine. He's sorted. But for my own management and like not to go down a rabbit hole, like I have to be following the my goal, my own goal setting framework. So everybody has their own take on it. I have my own way of doing it. And it's like, I know what I want to want to achieve. And I want 10,000 new users on Payon by the end of 2023. That's my big stretch goal, maybe, but it's a big goal. Okay. So then I get it all into Asana and I just follow my own goal setting framework, which is like, 
big goal, make it smart, work backwards, <laughs> and that's it. And I have action things. I'm like, okay, what are the obstacles that I'm going to come up against in this? Okay, well, someone might tell me no. Someone might say that's not going to work. How do we work around it? What's the solution? Because I have a tendency to like, if someone says no to me, or if I, if like someone, like if something goes really wrong, if I don't have like a contingency plan, I'll like go into a hole for a few days. I'm like, I don't know what to do anymore, blah, blah, blah. So I know that that happens. So I put contingency plans in place. So it's the same as like, you know, if you want to go to the gym and then you don't go to the gym one day and then you're like, fucking, I hate my life, blah, blah, blah. You put a contingency plan in place. Okay, if I don't go to the gym, then I'm going to go for a walk, right? And what was your contingency plan like in this case? Because it happens all the time when you're a founder oh, yeah. or you're building something that someone says uh, no to you or like, no, your idea will never work. It's even worse. I, you know, right? I, I find someone who will make it happen for me instead. <laughs> so like my developers say no to me all the time. And I just know there's this like I'm so passionate about making this work that I know that someone has the solution. Right. So I'll say, OK, so you've told me like the contingency plan is go and sit back, like don't get pulled into the emotions of the no. Time to take stock. OK, here are all the options. OK. Like it's a bit more difficult actually for a contingency plan for this this specific topic, but it's more like I can go and research and find another solution. It's like there's another solution. It's a contingency plan. Okay, so it's an it's persistence. Uh, pers persist yes. Oh wait, persistence, persistence is the key. <laughs> yeah, in this particular example, yeah, because like the other day, my developers told me. Um, Actually, my developers went and built on Polygon without telling me. <laughs> and I was like, but I want to build on Ethereum because like I want I need USDC, right? On Ethereum, not Polygon Ethereum, uh, Polygon USDC. Well, you know, it's gonna be really expensive to deploy the smart contracts. And I'm like, you need to tell me if it's gonna be really expensive to deploy the smart contracts, not just build on Polygon, okay? And so I got really angry in that moment and I was like, wait, maybe that's my problem. Like maybe I don't know how to communicate well enough to these developers and maybe Antoine needs to learn to be on top of these developers more because I'm, I'm, I'm not managing the developers as much as Antoine is. So I need to maybe express better to Antoine what I expect. And then so he can manage the developers better. So it was a lot of introvert. In, is it that right? Yeah. Intro thinking, introspective work. Yeah. One thing that... Um we do and we work with developers in product management is that whenever we write something for them to do, so we write user stories mm -hmm. for them to do. So as a user, da, 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 I want dot, dot, yeah. dot, so that dot, dot, dot. And then what people don't know most of the time is that alongside this user story, we write acceptance criteria. Okay, this would be good to know. So acceptance criteria are answer the questions. This story can be closed or this ticket can be closed when the following are completed. Okay. Or yeah. when the, whatever you code, respect the following mm -hmm. criteria. So nice. in, in that case, great. for example, would have been the smart contract needs to be deployed on Ethereum. Or yeah. needs to be deployed also on Ethereum and in those in those other chains, like and whatever else you want. So this is what we do usually. This is great. Yeah, I learned 
user stories when I was with uh, Coin Japan. They're an exchange. They were called Liquid for the Global Side, but they were a really big exchange at the time in Southeast Asia. And the head of product taught me how to write user stories because I basically, when I came in, I came on as a product marketing product marketing specialist and then moved into the head of global marketing role because we had to fire a lot of people. I was basically like a stealth person and I was meant to be like in there auditing people basically. And so when I came into the role of head of global marketing, I was like, I need to learn how to get this shit done. And the head of product was like, you need to write user stories. So I learned them and I loved it. But the acceptance part is good because it's really like goal setting how do you like I always tell people when you're setting goals what's the success criteria so it's basically the same isn't it yeah it's the same it's like the condition that it needs to satisfy basically to be closed Mm. this is great yeah okay I'm gonna go through my Asana tickets today (laughs) write all acceptance (laughs) criteria everywhere (laughs) so that you don't have any more surprises In, in, in capital bold writing like this has to be done if this is finished okay yeah <laughs> please yeah and sometimes like uh, you really need to be careful because if you if somehow you forget something to write that in the acceptance mm-hmm. criteria then it does not get done <laughs> that's like the problem yeah. yeah and you know developers are like artists so it's like you have to be careful how you manage what you say <laughs> but like that's where the coaching comes in right i i am a not not having a big head or anything but I'm a good leader and that's always a good trait and a strength of mine that I've carried through my career which is why I help other people become better leaders as well and so this helps me when I'm having a really hard time with managing developers or understanding how to manage developers it's like having compassion for them and knowing they know what they're meant to be doing right but if I'm going to give them like it's like giving them the wrong ingredients and then like being upset that the outcome is wrong right so if I tell them to go and make carrot juice, but I'm giving them tomatoes, they're going to make tomato juice, right? So I have to understand as a compassionate leader that it's up to me to be very clear on what I want. What does make a good leader? Compassion. Being a compassionate person and working on your emotional intelligence. So being a leader in Web3 is very difficult because you're put into very volatile situations. And so you have to learn how to manage your own emotions and manage people around you. So, and I did a podcast episode about this, but the types of personalities of founders and leaders who are in the Web3 space. And so you have to, you have a lot of visionaries who found big companies and you also have a lot of young people who found who have founded big companies and just got loads of money all of a sudden. And they've never had this time to learn how to be a boss and how to be a leader. And so you see a lot of um, turnover when it comes to staff, especially in the, the companies that are scaling up. Um, and so when I used to join companies, there was a lot of um, processes that were missing. And so it was impossible for the team to understand what they were doing. And a lot of them were like overworking themselves. And they were constantly looking for leadership, constantly looking for guidance, constantly looking for someone to say, you're doing okay, right? You're doing the right thing. So when I've ever come into a company, it's always, how are the team doing, right? Forget everything else. How are the people? What are their skill sets? Are they actually doing stuff that they like to do? And are they strong at it? A lot of the time you'll find some people are working on things that they're shit at and they know they're shit at, but they're trying to do it because they're worried that they're going to lose their jobs if they don't do it. So it's like... The biggest skill as a leader is understanding how to where to place people, right? So I I I still um, 
advice for two different companies um very 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 part-time basis like one two hours a week um and my job for them is basically to help them understand their team and help them to put processes in place so their team are optimized and that they're doing the thing that 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 makes them happy and fulfills them and that they're really good at and if they are if there are spots that they're not good at how can we upskill them instead of rehiring like it's constantly focused on like retaining people and so as a team leader you need to be able to understand how to do that you need to understand processes understand how to get the most out of your team have compassion what else would I say makes a good leader and being able to be the buffer like the umbrella so everything that's going on up here you deal with it it doesn't go into your team because the last thing you want is the team to be demotivated and feel devalued so it's up to you to take the bullshit and also have the ability to take that bullshit when necessary and understand that it's nothing personal ever. It's all to do with the people who are running the company and it's up to you to manage whatever they're saying and then reformat it to the team in a nice way. It's absolutely true. Like I I think you you are spot on really. And it's interesting because I, I saw it also when I was managing my team, uh, um, I so reflected in my team both my strengths and my weaknesses. And then all of the time it, it became like a question of how do I shield them from my weaknesses, right? Because mm-hmm. if I constantly push in myself, you know, and not taking breaks, etc., this is the kind of example that I set for them. Exactly. And and then they're also stressed. Uh, and, and as a consequence, we don't achieve as much as we could if we had another mindset. Exactly. So it, it was a constant uh, work on myself as well, I will say. Yeah. But that's amazing that you had that full awareness of what your weaknesses were, because a lot of people don't realize what's happening until it's too late. How do you prioritize what needs to be built, uh, what makes you say, okay, this goes first, this goes second, uh, and mm-hmm. so, or these we are not going to do instead. Okay. So I base it on MVP model. I else. assume that most listeners will be familiar with the term MVP, but maybe we could play it out if someone is listening who is not familiar with the term. Yeah. Yeah. So minimal viable product means getting the functionality out that means your users can actually use the product it doesn't have to be beautiful it just has to be functional um and it has to be a seat like for me i mean it means lots of different things but getting the basic product out so you can start testing it and tweaking it and getting product market fit that's what an mvp is what's your definition of it the minimum the minimum thing that you can do Mm -hmm. to test your idea Without being yeah. a full-blown uh, thing or spending too much time in development, because there is a high chance that even if you have talked with many people and you run a thorough validation, when you when you go from would you be willing to pay, you know, or like a, and actually start people to paying for something that yeah that might not do it. And therefore, it yeah, means that you're not probably solving the right problem or not in the right way also. Yeah, exactly. So that's what we that's kind of the basis of what we put out there. And then we have a roadmap. So it's an internal roadmap at the moment, but 
we're going to start fundraising for pre-seed so it's going to be we'll probably put that in the deck as well and start talking about it a bit more but the next step would be the dispute resolution okay because I think that's based on the feedback from other people that's the most important thing that needs to be sorted before anything else and then it would be fiat integration and that's how we move on so it's like I base it based on the urgency from the feedback of of other people and uh talking about fundraising uh, so this is something new uh how would you advise uh, first-time founders that have no experience in fundraising uh, to think about it and go about it well it's also i'm the first-time fundraiser too so i can share my experience as being completely newbie So step one is understanding that you're not going to go and raise millions of dollars, right? (laughs) So you can't go and apply to everything and be like, I need $2 million. No, it doesn't work like that. So the first step is asking for help from other people. So speak to people who have already successfully gone through not a seed, not a series A, but a pre-seed. Right, so don't ask people who've been through a seed or, or a series A because they have different experiences and expectations from the investors. You need to go and round up a group of people who know how to precede fund uh, fundraise. That's what I've done so far. And then the second step is putting together a plan to learn how to fundraise. So my plan is from the middle of March, I'm going to be sitting down for a full, actually we might do this sooner, for a full weekend and consuming everything we need to learn. So understanding how to handle objections, understanding the financial slides we need, putting together the full business model so we can explain it like off the top of our heads, right? And we can answer all the questions that are thrown at us. It's putting aside that time to learn because it's a new skill. Like I was stressed about it, not stressed, but I was like, ah, I don't know how to fundraise. How are we ever going to get funds? And I was like, okay, do it how you always do everything, put together a plan. And so that's how we're going to do it because it is like, I realizing that it's not you you're not um expected to know how to do it it's like a new thing you need to learn yeah absolutely and uh do you how do you isolate the right people uh, that can be a match for your product that's something that i'm currently working on so investors is just getting yourself in front of the right people and i want to be an on a personal level i want to be investing with people who understand the mission they understand why we're doing it Maybe they've been through something similar, so they get it, and that they really want to help um, someone build a product with purpose. I don't want them to just be the NFT and the metaverse investors of, of our industry. And also, I'll be looking for outside capital, so outside of Web3. It's not just going to be Web3 money, because this is going to help Web2 people uh, actually hire people in Web3. So it's also a solution for them. Have you considered uh, like going the route of... Uh releasing like an nft that's somehow related to the the product no (laughs) i'm like let's keep it simple and the reason is i see all the i feel quite strongly about this i see people releasing nfts and token equity like for no reason just for fundraising and so i don't think i want to do anything like my my values are i want to solve a problem and i want to do that in the most fair way possible and the most affordable way possible so I feel like it's so difficult as someone who's uh if I was putting together a token myself for example like if I had a token launch and I was pre-selling to investors this token I wouldn't feel that that's a fair deal because I can't 
guarantee that they're going to get their money's worth. Whereas if I get actual funds, I have a group of people around me who are going to help me get to where I want to be. Um, and I just think there's a bit of a flaw when it comes to the way people fundraise in Web3 through NFTs and ideals and stuff. And what, what's that? I just think that there's a lot of scams. It's got a really bad reputation. I've been, um, I've worked with companies who've got their own token. I've done ideals. I've done IEOs. I was in the ICO era back in 2017, 2016. Um, and I just think it's not a sustain. It's, what I'm trying to say is <laughs> when you do something like that, it becomes about the token price or the NFT price. It moves you away from the users and who's actually using the product. And I think you get so much pressure from investors that you can't make the right decisions. That's why I would never do it. I feel that this is an interesting uh, point to consider. And uh, I think you're right, to be honest. Uh, I saw it, this happen that it's like, you know, token holder are like VCs. They want to return uh, mm -hmm. on, their, on their investment, on their money. And what they see, you know, it takes yeah. time to build a product. And VC are used to wait years even to see a return. Yes. And the way they see a return is, uh, well, if the company does really, really well and it IPOs or mm -hmm. if there is an exit, right? And they're willing to wait yes. for years because they are trained. They are specialized in these. I'm mm -hmm. not sure token holders that can be you know me or like any other normal exactly. people are willing to wait for that much and it's a lot of risk on the project side because you're putting all these tokens out you're diluting uh your token what's the word i'm thinking of token equity right you're giving away a lot and you're giving away basically the safe the guardrails to your brand so anybody can say anything shit about you and your brand will be destroyed and people will start selling the tokens which will then crash the, crash the price which will then crash your reserves and then your team are at risk so i just think there's just way too too much risk and there's so many people who've done it for a quick book they've just like i've i know so many like so many funds that used to snap up projects and put them through ido just to get the capital and i've been offered tons of token equity Back in the day, all, all like you might have come across the same thing. When you were getting a job in Web3 as a director or a CMO, for example, you would be offered token equity. And I soon learned really quickly that it's worthless, right? You're not necessarily going to get that back. I'd rather get hard cash <laughs> and equity in the business. Stock options are a bit more viable. Like it's actually something that might happen because your efforts and your work go into making the business a success right so what you do has an output whereas what you do doesn't impact the token price it's, there's absolutely no way to correlate that interesting huh okay yeah <laughs> let's talk about uh i think the area that you're most expert on because it's launching the product right mm -hmm. so what's a good strategy for launching uh, and for releasing uh, a product uh, that you're building in Web3? I think it's, I think it really depends on what the product is. But if you want to know about Payon's launch yeah. strategy, <laughs> I already have it in my head. I I'm not ready to launch it properly yet because we're going to, so we have a waitlist. Step one was waitlist because waitlist helps me understand if more people want to use the product, right? It's just a very, it's another validation tool. How many sign up, signups? We have over 150 now. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. 
That was Antoine's idea, actually, the waitlist, because he's just built another one for his other company and it worked really well. Um, so waitlist is step one, helping those people go through the process of testing the product on a one, not one to one basis, but on a, like a personal basis. So I'm going to get everybody on a call and we're all going to walk through it together, like properly testing the product. I'm going to help them with any troubleshooting questions. I'm going to also use that opportunity to pick up on all the FAQs that I need to create and all the user guides that I need to create. So it's going to be like one big test. So that's like step one of the GTM, go to market. And so the next step is going to be building out my referral program because that's my growth tool. I've worked with loads of referral programs. I've built loads for the exchanges. And that's the the one thing that's helped me to grow product really quickly and get quality users versus like shit users who are just looking for a bonus or something. So that's the next thing I'll build. And then I'm going to be going down the affiliate route. So we're doing it differently. Like I'm not going to be doing the whole or the the web three marketing strategies that people might expect. Um, and then I'm going to be doing affiliate marketing. Um, and we, we've got lots of partners already lined up. On top of that, I'm going to be building a very nice nurture series funnel. <laughs> so I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's basically like um, getting people onto webinars and we're going to be going old school marketing. And it works really well. So you, you'll organize some webinars regarding getting paid in mm -hmm. Web3, I imagine. Yeah. And while you get people so educated, you are also, is, is that what this is? Yeah, basically. So we're going to be um, just not necessarily educating them, just showing them the product, saying, you've got this problem. You've told me about it already. You've got this problem. This is how we could solve it. Are you interested? Um, I'm not a salesperson. I'm just like there to inform people. Um, and help them access something that might solve their problem. Fantastic. Do you have a timeline? Like what's a reasonable timeline for mm. you? So to do all the marketing I want to do, it's going to be, I'll need funding. So we're going to start the fundraising process in the middle of March. Um, so however long that takes, like apparently it could take three to six months. So it might take longer, but I'm going to be starting Regardless of that, we're going to be working away at things. So first of all, I'm going to be doing the testing process and then I'm going to be doing a soft launch and I'm going to help those people. Um, and like these people are going to be basically be like my founding members of the product and they're going to get a lot of benefits. Um, and they're going to get preferential referral rates, for example. Um, that's going to be step one. And then step two is what can we do next without any funds? Okay, we can build up the social presence. We can do email marketing. We can partner with people. I'm going to be going and doing events and talks around different areas. Like it's going to be like an all channel solution, but on a low budget to start with. That sounds great. It sounds like a mm -hmm. lot of work. And I... Yeah. <laughs> as a last question, actually, I would like to ask, uh, how do you balance everything? Because... As I said, mm. <laughs> podcast business, um, coaching, and now building a startup and you are in a phase in which you really have to be present because these, I mean, I don't think that raising capital and the marketing strategy you will outsource. I think that, that you'll mm -hmm. keep this one. So how do you plan to balance all these elements oh did I leave something out no. or there is more because I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> no I'll throw in another thing I also am an advisor for multiple companies okay sorry that takes up yeah that takes up a few hours a week but the way I manage it is I have a lot of help so all the revenue I bring in goes towards other people helping me to grow the business and without that 
I would be a few steps behind where I am now. So I have a podcast editor. I have um, Antoine managing the developers for me. I would be screwed without him helping me because I don't, I hadn't, prior to this, I didn't know how to manage any developers. I didn't know what questions to ask. So he's helped me a lot. Um, He also builds my website for me for coaching and the podcast and pay on. So he did all the website design and stuff. Um, What else do I have? I have a coach who helps me through hard days and she gets me out of sticky like mindset situations and stuff. I have a health coach because my health is number one priority over everything else. So she keeps me on track. And so the only reason I have all this energy is because I eat like I don't know, like I'm a king or something, <laughs> a queen. Um, and I eat organic. I have juices every day. I have like every single gadget you can ever think of in my life. Like I have every tool for the kitchen you could think of. My house is a smart house. So everything's like Alexa or Google Home, turn it off. So I, I make everything easy for my life every day. Um, what else do I have? I've got two developers. So they do all that work for me. Like I don't have to think about what, if I need to hire anybody else. Um, who else do I have? Oh, I just hired a social media manager as well and a VA. <laughs> so I have a lot of people helping me. Otherwise, I would not be where I am right now. I would not be able to manage everything. That's fantastic. But you have to manage those people somehow. Yes. And that's what takes time. Walk me through one of your typical day and how do you manage uh, all these helps that you get? Because it still needs coordination. Yeah. So I don't work on pay on every day. So Thursday mornings is when I do pay on the rest of the time Antoine's doing it. And I say to Antoine, because we're also getting married, like we're in a partnership, um, we can't talk about work all the time, right? It's not healthy. So we say, he says, I've got an idea about pay on. And I'm like, wait a minute, tell me that in a meeting about pay on, write it down. Let's not talk about it now because I'm doing this. I've got other things to work on right now. So we've got a really good, it's all about communication, I would say. Um, for the developers, we have processes in place and we've said to them, we use Asana. This is what tickets look like. This is, we have a weekly call. This is what we expect from you. These are deadlines. Like, and sometimes I override Antoine, which is probably bad, but I'll text a developer saying, uh, we needed this by this time. Why is it not done yet? Please. Thank you. <laughs> like, so that's how I manage pay on side. But when it comes to social media, my they manage me really. So the social media manager, she hasn't started, she's starting in the the first week of March, but she's already doing all the preparation for me. Um, she says, I need you to do this, this and this, and I'll need it by this time. Like, brilliant. I'm going to sit down and do it all for you. So they manage me. A VA I just hired today, actually, for a few hours a week. Um, and it's up to me. I, I now need to go and sit down and think, okay, what is the most important thing that she can do for me right now that's going to help me move forward with the goals? And I have like a big sheet behind my monitor that has all my goals. It has all the goals and it has the full action plan and it has all the deadlines. And under the action plans, it has all the small tasks, right? I've got a big thing. Um, and so I'm like, okay, I need the help specifically with this. Okay, she's going to go do that. And so it's a strategic thing. Like I have to go through everything. Like my editor, I'll say to him, okay, I'm going to record two podcasts. I'm going to send it to you. I need this one by this day and this by, one by this day. So I'm very processed oriented. And that's how I manage these people. Interesting. Do you have like a special tool mm-hmm. where you manage these people, the central repository um, or uh, anything that you can no. recommend? So Asana for Payon, so everything's in there, specifically when it comes to development, because everything does need to be in one place. So that's where we manage Payon. Everything that I do is in Asana and everything Antoine does is in Asana. But when it comes to my business, I have my own 
Asana. But to be honest, I live it by this board that's behind my monitor. <laughs> that's my to-do list. Um, but I also have um, WhatsApp groups and stuff. So I manage everything in WhatsApp. Um, but to be honest, I'm at a point where I think I need to get something else because I have new clients coming on board. I need to set up a system for that. I need to automate it because I realize that for every new client, it's taken me like an hour to get them all set up. Like when it comes to a coaching client and get their contracts, get their payments, get their um, WhatsApp groups set up and all that kind of stuff. It's a lot of things. So I'm at the point where I need to learn how to build new processes to grow. Yeah. It's always a challenge and you always have to scale mm-hmm. it. Any tips of where to find those people that help oh, you? Oh, yeah. So this is a big challenge. Like, So when it came to hiring developers, that's always a challenge because I always trust people more when they've been recommended to me. So my developers are both recommended from people that I trust. So it was a struggle to start with, but that now I found them and I'm happy with them. But I did have one developer who I had to let go because it just was not working like too junior I would say and that's to do with me not knowing what to look for so then from then on I was like okay I'm only going to go with people who recommended to me um luckily I have a network but if I didn't have a network then I'd probably go to somewhere like Upwork or Fiverr maybe not Fiverr but more Upwork um and work with someone from there and test them and like I would always say for developers have a trial period because you never know what like what their ability is especially if you're not technical so that was for developers social media manager my coach referred her to me she refers everyone to me it's amazing um editor lauren ingram you know who's um got women of web3 yeah. podcast yeah listen she, to i it. have her we, we sh- yeah we share her editor um alex he's amazing um so it's all referrals i would say well okay that's always a good place to start yeah yes Ask people. Yeah. Emily, we are, I think, at the end of the of the interview. I loved having you on the show and I would love to have you back uh, maybe when, you know, you're, you're, you're about to launch uh, and then we can do maybe a part two and you can yes. tell us all about uh, fundraising and actually launching the product and the early stage of adoptions. That would be amazing. And then my sound booth will be decorated and it won't look like I'm in a padded cell. Thank you, Emily, for being here. And uh, thank you so much. And for all the listeners, uh, we'll see you on the next episode. Bye. That's all from today's episode. Thank you so much for watching or listening. If you find this episode valuable, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel or to the Polyweb podcast on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. It would be fantastic if you could leave us a rating, a review, or a comment, as this really helps other listeners find the show. All the resources mentioned in this episode will be linked in the description and in the show notes. See you on the next episode. And if you cannot wait until next week, you can watch this episode right here, that relates to some of the things that we talk about in this episode. Bye.